Let's stand and let's pray before we get into God's word. Lord Jesus, we come before you now. We open up your words that you have left behind for us, your eternal words, the words of life. And I pray that you would prepare each of our hearts to hear from you, God, to hear your voice, to know you, Lord, and to love you more as a result of, of hearing you, Jesus. Please help us, prepare us. May we see you. Lord, we thank you, and we pray this all in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. I remember there's an awesome pastor, Tony Sinelli. He was here actually at Bright many, many moons and years ago. And he was, you know, Sinelli, he's Italian. And so he comes, you know, he knew a lot of shepherds back in Italy where he was from. And he shared this amazing example that I'll never forget. And I'm sure none of you will either after you hear it. He said, one time there was, you know, this, you know, these big mountains, green mountains, fields, right, full of grass, and four different shepherds with four different flocks got together, and it was kind of this valley, and, and all of a sudden, all of these flocks come together, and they just start mixing together. They start mixing, and Tony's like thinking, they're all mixing. Like, what are, what are we going to do now? Like, are we going to just, you know, count everybody off? Well, I had 500 sheep, so I'm just going to take 500 sheep. You had 200, so you're going to take 200. But as the sheep just kept, you know, grazing and everything like that, after the shepherd saw that they were done eating, that it was time for them to go, each of the shepherds would just stand back, and he would just start calling his sheep. He just starts calling his sheep just speaking his own voice. And all of a sudden, it's like, like magically, his whole herd of sheep would just leave that big, massive herd and they would all come to him. Like, isn't it wild how God has created sheep, right? That like they know the voice of their shepherds so well that it's not even a problem to have them mix. That you know that you can just call them back and they will follow you and you're not going to have any one of them missing. Today's message is going to be all from John 10. And there Jesus talks about him being the good shepherd and us being his sheep. And that's why I wanted to share this story and this analogy for you because it's important for us to understand the image that Jesus has in mind as he's talking about himself and he's talking about us. Today's message is the seven S's of the good shepherd. I wanted to make sure it's easy to remember, so I made them all start with an S. But just to give you context, before we go into John 10, what happened? Well, Jesus is in Jerusalem, and last week... Pastor Anatoly was preaching about how Jesus heals the blind man. So, And there's this whole drama that happens around that. Jesus heals the blind man. And right after that, Jesus starts to teach about him being the good shepherd. And at the end of John 10, he starts saying that he and the Father are one. And so the Jews actually try to arrest him and try to execute him. But we read that he ends up escaping from Jerusalem. So that's John 10 for you in a nutshell and where it is in the gospel of John. So now let's look at the seven S's of the good shepherd. The first S 
of the Good Shepherd is that Jesus has a special relationship. So read with me verse 3 from John 10. The sheep hear his voice, this is Jesus teaching, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow. But they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And then verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Video team, if we can go back one slide. It kind of makes sense now that Jesus is saying, my own hear my voice, they follow me, they don't follow strangers, because that's literally what sheep do, right? They, they have very good hearing, specifically hearing and we, as his people, we hear his voice and we follow him. Now, this word know is very interesting in the Bible. It has a much deeper meaning than simply knowing some kind of facts. This word know oftentimes in the Bible indicates a personal relationship, a personal knowledge. In fact, the word know oftentimes in the Bible is a euphemism for physical intimacy. Think Genesis 4.1, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. Now, when Jesus is talking about knowing his own and his own knowing him, it's clearly not talking about something physical, but it is talking about an intimate relationship between God and his people. And what's interesting is this word know, in terms of intimate knowledge, you, we see it throughout the entire Bible. Psalm 1.6 says, for the Lord, it ends this way, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, if God knows the way of the righteous, that means he doesn't know the way of the wicked. Does that mean that God, like, he's just not aware of what the wicked are doing? He's, he's clueless, right? He can see the righteous, but he's not sure what the wicked are doing. Obviously, we know that's not true. We know God sees all things and knows everything. And what's interesting is that being known by God in Psalm 1 is the opposite of, of what? What's the opposite? perishing perishing such an interesting contrast how are those two even together but this is what scripture tells us that if god is not intimately familiar with you and if you are not intimately familiar with him then you will perish that's what the word of god is saying here and if you do have that personal connection with God, with the Lord, you know him and he knows you, then what the Bible says is that you will never perish. In fact, this, the words of Jesus in John 10 are essentially an echo of Psalm 1-6. If we can get that next slide now. Look at what Jesus says, John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never 
perish. Psalm 1-6, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Eternal life comes to us through the knowing of God, church. Another passage related to this, Matthew 7, verse 21, Jesus speaking kind of the last day of last judgment, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. He doesn't say you didn't do good works. He said, I never knew you. I don't know who you are. You're nobody to me. We have no relationship. We have no connection. And then he says, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And so they will depart to destruction. A very similar parable of this, a very similar parable to this saying is Matthew 25, verse 31. Jesus, again, speaking of the end, he says, Before him, that's before Jesus, will be gathered all the nations. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then verse 41 says, And then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And the last connection that I want to share is John 17, the same gospel we're going through where we just read John 10, just seven chapters down. Jesus, as he's praying to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, now this is eternal life. And he defines what eternal life is. He says, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Church, the big takeaway here from this is that whoever has a personal relationship with God They cannot perish because they are known by God. You see, God is the source of life. God is life itself, church. He is life. And anyone connected to him will live forever. And anyone who is not in relationship with him will wither like a branch that gets cut off from the tree and cast aside. Here's some personal application. Do you know Christ? Do you know him? Does he know you? The Bible compares us to sheep. And that's not very flattering because sheep are not very smart, are they, right? But there's one thing they know better than anything else. And that's all they need to know. And that is the personal voice of their shepherd. Do you actually know his voice? Are you able to recognize his voice in the crowd of voices around us? Did you know that sheep, they have no natural form of defense, no self-defense, right? They don't have horns. They don't have claws. They, they, They can't do anything. They rely on the shepherd 
to protect them from their environment, to keep them safe. Goats, on the other hand, they've got horns, right? But they are stubborn. They're destructive animals if left to their own, unattended, right? And guess what? Goats don't follow anyone. They don't. They just do their own thing. So are you God's sheep that knows and hears the voice of their master and follows him? Or are you just a goat, just doing your own thing? Or maybe you're a goat trying to blend in with the sheep, trying to follow the sheep, but you don't actually hear the voice itself. And so you need to rely on these other sheep to show you where to go, but you don't actually hear and know the shepherd. One day, God will separate the sheep from the goats, and he will separate you from his people. But here's the good news. He can be your good shepherd as well. You can leave your ways And you can trust him with your whole life. You can follow him and you will hear his voice and he will know you and you will know him and you will be his sheep. So that's the first one. The first S of the good shepherd is that he has a special relationship with his people. He doesn't have this kind of relationship with everyone, but only with his own, those who have trusted in him. The second S of the good shepherd, and it's going to go much faster from here, is that the good shepherd seeks out the lost. Now, John 10 Jesus does a lot of teaching, teaching about him being the good shepherd. And, and, and all of it is a, is a fulfillment of several prophecies. The first one is Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? That's the first prophecy that Jesus is fulfilling in John 10. The second one is Ezekiel 34. And Ezekiel 34 is a whole, an entire chapter in the Old Testament talking about God himself being the shepherd of his people. And in Ezekiel 34, 12, God says, as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep, that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places that they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. It's interesting because Jesus has a parable that he shares twice, recorded twice in the Gospels. Matthew 18, Luke 15. I'll just read Matthew 18 for you. Verse 12. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Church, this is amazing news. Jesus, as our good shepherd, he seeks out and he saves the lost. That's why Jesus came to save sinners. He truly is good. And I'm here to remind all of us of this reality. And he loves saving those who are lost. Jesus, as the good shepherd, goes out of his way to save those who are lost. He goes and he searches. He doesn't just sit in one spot, you know, just kind of 
you know, on the hill. And if you find your way back to him, good for you, good, you're saved, you're now part of the flock. No, he goes out of his way and he seeks the lost. Some personal application. If you are lost, cry out to Jesus. Cry out to Jesus. He will hear your cry and he will find you and he will rejoice over finding you. And so will all of heaven will rejoice when you are found. The third S of the good shepherd is that he strengthens the weak. We find this in Ezekiel 34, 16. God says, I will seek out the lost. I will bring back the strayed and I will strengthen the weak. Again, this image of Jesus being our good shepherd is an image of someone who really cares for his own. The lost he brings back, the weak he strengthens. Church, I am here to remind us that we have one who truly, truly cares for our souls. And he's not just interested in, you know, finding sheep, throwing it back into the flock, and then, you know, having them grow, and then all of a sudden he uses them for profit, for their wool and their meat. No, he's not just a shepherd. He is the good shepherd who truly loves us and cares about us. We don't have a Lord that just wants to enslave us and use us for, to our harm. We have someone who truly loves us, who knows us, whom we know with whom there is that personal relationship and he strengthens us when we are weak. Are you weary? Come to the good shepherd. Find strength in him. I remember about 10 years ago, I was uh, in college, lots of projects uh, in, uh, for school, lots of projects in ministry. I was, I was leading a small group, and, and, I, and it was that Saturday, and I had to lead group that day, and I was just, I was exhausted. I was physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually just drained. And, and it's really hard if any of you have, you know, had to lead a Sunday school or a group or anything. When, when you are just fully depleted, where your battery just dropped down to zero and your phone is off, when you're in that state and you have to come out and you actually have to still give something to other people, something that will help them. When you feel like a dry plum... And I remember it was at this time that I stumbled across Isaiah 40. So for those of you who are feeling weak, for those of you that are feeling just beat down, depleted, weary, for those of you who are on the brink of giving up, I want you to just hear the words of God. Just let them enter your soul. Take them in and store them up in your heart. Isaiah 40, 28 have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. 
They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Whatever hardship you are going through, I want you to think about it. Whatever it is that you are going through, I want you to remember you are not alone. You have a good shepherd who is right there with you. And he says that he is the one who strengthens us. Come to him for strength. Wait upon him for strength and for power. It says even the youth will faint and be weary, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. Wait for the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. The fourth S is that Jesus is the good shepherd. He salves the sick. Salve is the ointment that you put on a wound to let it heal. In other words, he heals the sick. Jesus, as the good shepherd, he binds up the broken. Isaiah 34, 16, I will seek out the lost. I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured. There's a reason why Jesus is oftentimes called the great physician. He heals the wounds of our souls. He heals our broken hearts. We are his sheep and our pain is his pain. And it's amazing because in the very next chapter after John 10 and John 11, for those of you that remember, it's about Lazarus dying, his friend and Jesus comes to the tomb where Lazarus is buried. He sees Lazarus' sister crying. 11.33 says, When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. In fact, there we read that Jesus also wept. Jesus saw the pain of his people, and he was deeply moved. He was greatly troubled. His heart, church, I'm here to remind you that his heart is so full of compassion towards our suffering that he is greatly troubled and deeply moved by our pains and our sorrows. You see, Jesus doesn't just empathize with us, though. He doesn't just stop with empathy and compassion. Jesus heals our broken hearts. He is the great physician, and so church, I urge you, run to Jesus. Have him heal you. Have him fix your brokenness unlike anything in this world can possibly fix it. Nothing can mend our souls like Jesus can. There's a lot of good things in this world, but nothing compares to the power of Jesus, the great physician. Amen, church? Amen. Fifth S, the great shepherd, he satisfies the starved. In other words, God provides for his people. Ezekiel 34, 14, God says, I will feed them with good pasture. If you study Ezekiel 34, six times God talks about him feeding the sheep or the, fee, the sheep being fed. And this kind of brings us to now Psalm 23. I'm sure most of us know this psalm very well. Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
Now, this word want, it's kind of an old usage, old English usage. What it really means modern day is, I will have no need. I will lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We see this rich image of God being our shepherd who abundantly provides for us. We see that God gives us green pastures. It's fresh. It's pleasant. It's not stale. It's not old. It's not dry. And this is amazing. He prepares for us a table in the presence of whom, church? Our enemies. Now, tell me the last time you sat across from someone who just hated your guts, and maybe they were plotting something against you, or maybe they wanted to kill you, right? Would you have much of an appetite during that kind of meal? No, right? You wouldn't. How, so, so how do you have a meal in front of your enemies that you enjoy? How is that possible? The only way that's possible is when your enemy is utterly and completely subdued before you, completely defeated. And it was like we read the, the kings of the ancient world. You know what they would do when they would capture their enemy kings? They would capture them. They would cut off their thumbs so you can't hold a sword. They would cut off their big toes so you can't run fast. Now they're completely useless. They're utterly harmless, and they would live under their tables picking up scraps that would fall off the table. That's the only way that you can feast before your enemies is if your enemies are completely trampled upon and subdued. And now who are our greatest enemies? Death and the devil. And in Christ... In Christ, God has utterly subdued death and the devil. He has yanked out every teeth, every tooth that they have. All they have is gums, and now they are living under this table with no big toes, with no, no thumbs. They are utterly harmless to our souls in our eternal state. God has subdued them, and he has set a feast before us. And all of this is through the gospel. All of this is through Christ's death on the cross on our behalf. That is our victory that we proclaim that we will remember today. God's defeat of our greatest enemies. And now he has set the table for us to feast and enjoy and relax. And that's why the word of God says, my cup overflows. Our good shepherd, he doesn't just give us the bare minimum. You know, it's just a little bit of crumbs here. He gives us an abundance. Our good shepherd, he's not stingy. He gives generously. And, and back to John 10, verse 9, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And then verse 10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Abundantly, church. 
That is how God gives us life, abundant life. He sets the table. Our cup overflows in Christ, O church. These are just echoes of Psalm 23. The good shepherd, he doesn't just want us to get by. His end goal is life and life abundantly, church. And I want you to remember that. I want you to realize that. And and not only does Jesus free us from sin here, not only does Jesus fill us with joy here in this life, not only does he satisfy us with his presence and all the physical blessings that he gives us today and now and here, but he promises us a life that is completely free from all effects of the curse of sin one day. One day he will create everything new, he says. And he promises that the spiritual life we have here right now that we enjoy in this planet is just a foretaste of what is coming for us in the future, which will one day be revealed in all of its glory, and God will reveal himself to us fully. And the word of God says that he will wipe away every tear. That means there will not be a single reason for us to shed a tear in heaven ever again. He will make all things new. There will be no more death. There will be no more pain, no more goodbyes, no more frustration, not even boredom will be in the eternal place that God is preparing for each of those who love him and know him. And we will enjoy life with him forever and ever the way it was meant to be enjoyed from the very beginning. All of us, I don't care who you are, if you're an atheist or a Christian or Buddhist or a Hindu, all of us, we all desire to be happy, don't we? And to live forever. It's very simple. We just want to live forever, and we just want to be happy living forever, do we not? doesn't matter who you are. Every human being, always. And you know what? I'm here to remind us that God isn't playing a cruel joke on us. He's not just teasing us with those desires, not intending to satisfy them. No, God fully intends to satisfy those desires for those who trust in him. I love the analogy that C.S. Lewis gave. He said, this life compared to heaven is like us coming up to the door of a kitchen and and there's a keyhole and you could just, if you get your nose close enough, you could smell, you could smell what the master chef is cooking up just, just a little bit. Yeah, it smells really good. It smells as if you can almost taste it. But one day, God will open wide that door. God will invite us into the feast. And the word of God says that he will serve us. And he will give us that meal and we will enjoy it in the fullness of the glory of God. That's coming, church. And that is closer than we can even imagine. We, in in perspective of eternity, we are at the cusp. We're at the edge. We're at the brink. And that will happen so soon. You come up to any person that's over 90 years old, and you say, how long does your life feel? And they're going to say, the blink of an eye. The blink of an eye. We will all be there within the blink of an eye, and then glory forever and ever, if you trust in him.
The sixth S. The good shepherd, he sacrifices. And when he talks about sacrificing, he, he compares himself to the thief. In John 10, 11, Jesus says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You see, the thief, he only has his own interests in mind. He doesn't care what happens to the sheep. He wants to steal, kill, destroy. He just cares about benefiting himself. The good shepherd, on the other hand, he does not seek his own, but he lays down his own life for the sheep. The thief comes to steal. Jesus comes to give. The thief comes to kill and destroy. Jesus comes to give life and life abundantly. And he also compares himself with the hired hand, meaning just someone that was hired to take care of the sheep. John 10, 12, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, does not, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Much like the thief, the hired hand is only seeking his own interests. He doesn't own the sheep, so he doesn't care about the sheep. So the wolf comes and takes the sheep. Jesus, on the other hand, lays his life down for us. Now, why? Why does Jesus lay his life down for us? The answer is because we're his sheep. He owns us. He has a sense of ownership over us. But this is where the, the analogy of the shepherd kind of breaks down. But that's fine because it's just an analogy. In reality, right, you being a shepherd, if you saw the wolf coming, you wouldn't lay your life down for your sheep because your sheep is just your property. It's just your means of living. It's just your business, right? You'd rather have your business suffer harm rather than you suffering harm, right? But Jesus is the good shepherd that lays down his life for his own. Why? Because of point number one. Because he has a special relationship with his people. There is this deep covenant committed love that God has for us and towards us. And he, church, he has loved us with an everlasting love. He knows his own and his own know him. We are his bride, the word of God says. And he has come to lay his life down for us. Church, this is the gospel. This is the good news that we will never grow old and tired of hearing. And if you do run back to God in repentance, because that means your heart is dull over the reality, the greatest reality ever, God sacrificing himself for people. That is the greatest news ever. Ever. Like we will never get past that. We couldn't save ourselves. So God takes on flesh. He comes to save us. He lays down his life out of deep love for us. And anyone who believes in him will be saved. That's what we're doing today. We are remembering the 
life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the greatest act in history that he has ever performed. We will remember our Jesus who laid down his life, whose body was broken, whose blood was spilled on my behalf so that I can be reconciled back to God and I can enjoy glory with him forever. That's what we're going to remember today. The great shepherd laying down his life. Is it not beautiful, church? And lastly, the seventh S, the good shepherd, he secures his sheep. You see, with Jesus, we are safe and secure. And he says that in John 10, 28. He says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. We already talked about this in depth back in August when we studied the end of Romans. But look at what Jesus is saying here. Not only does the good shepherd, does he seek out the lost, not only does he sacrifice his life for them, not only does he satisfy them with abundant life, but the good shepherd secures his sheep. He gives eternal life, and as a result, we will never perish. And no one can snatch us out of the hands of the Father. That's what Jesus says. Why? Because the Father is greater than all. There's nobody greater than the Father. We are safe and secure in the hands of God. And just some passages just to what echoes what Jesus said in Philippians 1, 6. Paul writing to the Philippians says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, he will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Meaning, if God started a good work in you, he will never stop. God is not a quitter. God will not give up. God will not be thwarted. He will finish that good work in you. Jude 24, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. This is the Father in whose hand we are in. 1 Peter 1, 5, who by God's power, he's talking about we, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. As I call the band up, I just want to remind all of us that the Christian life is not one where we were lost and then Jesus finds us, puts us back in the flock and says, okay, that was your one shot. Don't get lost again. Okay? If you do, you're done. It's not a life where we fall into the dirt and then Jesus takes us off, cleans us and says, that was your one shot. Don't do it again because if you do, you're done. I'm not coming back. No, the word of God says that we, as already saved children of God, we are being guarded by the power of God. We are loved and protected by God. And there is no one greater than the Father, including us. And, and, and there's some that will listen, hear this and think, Oh, really? You mean... I can just go and sin all I want because I'm safe and secure. If that is a real desire in your heart that you agree with, 
that you embrace and live by, you're not a sheep. You're a goat. You are a goat, and you need to come back to Jesus with repentance. If you are delighting actively in the fact that, oh, I'm safe and secure so I can sin all I want, you're not a sheep. True sheep of God, they can stumble. They can get lost. They can get stuck in the bush. They can get deceived. They can get tricked and manipulated. But at the end of the day, they hear the voice of the good shepherd, and they cry out to him. They're miserable in their sin, and they want to follow him And he will protect and seek out and save his sheep. The reason this teaching is important, that Jesus keeps his sheep safe and secure, is is because in just six chapters down in John, Jesus says, John 16, 33, he says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus admits that this world is full of temptation. Jesus admits that things will try to break our faith in this world. And he assures us that he's not going to leave us to fend for ourselves after he saved us. He didn't just save the lost sheep and then disappear. And Well, I hope you find your way to heaven, right? No, we are now in the hands of God. So, this is the practical application here. Whatever anxieties you might have about your faith, whether you will make it to the end or not, whether you will be able to live a holy life, faithful life until the end, Jesus assures us that we will live that holy and faithful life because we are in the hands of God, because God will finish the good work that he started in us. And the fact that it's not finished means that there's, we're still a work in progress, right? But that doesn't mean we're supposed to just, you know, kick back and do nothing. No. We have to try. We have to do all that we can. Like Philippians 2.12 says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's intense. Fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's the paradox of God's sovereignty, our free will. I can't explain how it comes together, but Psalm 127 talks about this paradox right here in the Old Testament. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. So according to this psalm, who's doing the building? God or people? Both, right? Unless the Lord builds, those who build labor in vain. Who needs to watch the city, God or people? Both. We need to build, we need to watch, we need to fight, but we cannot be anxious. That's what the psalm warns us about. It says, in vain that you rise up early eating the bread of anxious toil. The anxiety of thinking, I'm all alone, it's all up to me. No, it's not all up to you. 
He gives sleep to his beloved. Do your best. Trust God with the rest. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling and then sleep tightly, knowing that it is the Father who is greater than all in whose hand you are in. And no one will be able to snatch you from his hand. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's stand. Let's just have a minute of response time meditating upon the great shepherd of our souls. Lord, we come before you just in awe of who you are. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for knowing us. Thank you for seeking us out, for strengthening us, securing us, satisfying us. Oh, Lord, I pray for every soul in this room, especially for those who have not yet come to know you as their good shepherd, that they would cry out to you and you would save them and you would satisfy them and secure them and that they would follow you, Lord, as obedient sheep that know nothing but the voice of their shepherd. Jesus, give us such purity of heart to follow you, knowing that you have the very, very best in mind. Please help us, Lord. We thank you. We worship you. And we pray this all in your name. Amen.